My name is Pastor Jason. I am the creative arts pastor here, and I'm so glad to be delivering the message to you. I'm so happy to see all your bright and shining faces. Oh my goodness, y'all look so good I could eat you up. Um, Yeah, that's right, I said it. Um, It's my pleasure to be delivering the message to you this morning, and you're probably going to be hearing a little more from me in the months to come, and so I hope that's okay, but... Since I'm going to be speaking a little bit more frequently, um, I thought I'd better um, really like work on and hone my speaking techniques, right? Like, so I've I've been really working on my transitions so that they're real smooth and unnoticeable and stuff. So, um, so uh, speaking of goldfish, um, <laughs> oh, well that, oh man, darn! I guess I got to keep working. Um, <laughs> Actually, I've, I've discovered some really interesting facts about goldfish recently. Don't ask me why. But uh, did you know that goldfish don't have stomachs? Like at all. They don't have a stomach. Um, also, goldfish can't keep their eyes closed. And like they can, they can see more colors than humans can. Did you know that? Um, one of the most interesting facts that I found about goldfish is that a group of them is called a troubling. A troubling of goldfish. And, and that's funny because, like, I actually say that when, when more than one of my sons is together. It's like a troubling of day boys, you know? And, and uh, the, the reason why I began to research goldfish was because of their memory. I had always been told that goldfish had a really short-term memory, like three seconds or something. And, and, uh, and I was... I was I was going to make a message analogy, right? You know, crafting my, my speaking skills. I was going to make this really cool message analogy about, you know, how every time we turn around, um, you know, maybe we forget what God has done for us. And, and uh, you know, um, like we're like goldfish in that way. But as it turns out, that fact about goldfish isn't true. It's not even remotely true. Uh, the truth is, goldfish can actually recognize human faces, and their memory has a span of at least three months. So, if you've been introducing yourself to your goldfish every day, um, chances are it's probably like, I know, you told me already, you know, like, so, so can you see how this, like, all of a sudden discovery kind of shot my analogy in the foot, right? Like, you can, you can see how that's not going to work. But, but uh, thankfully, I just happened to know another forgetful fish. Oh, oh, sorry! I didn't see you, oh. sir! Are, are you okay? He's gone. he's gone. There, there. No, he's gone. It's all right. He's gone. It'll be okay. No, no, they took him away. I, I have to find the boat. A boat? Hey, I've seen a boat. You have? Uh-huh, and it passed by not too long ago. A white one? Hi, I'm Dory. Where? Which way? Oh, 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 it, it went, um, this way. Yeah, it went this way. Follow me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. Wait! 
swim here. What, the ocean isn't big enough for you or something like that? Huh? You got a problem, buddy? Huh? Huh? Do you? Do you? Do you? Want a piece of me? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I'm scared now. What? Wait a minute. Stop following me, okay? What are you talking about? You're showing me which way the boat went. A boat? Hey, I've seen a boat. It passed by not too long ago. It, it went, um, this way. It went this way. Follow me. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is going on? You already told me which way the boat was going. I did? Oh, no. If this is some kind of practical joke, it's not funny. And I know funny. I'm a clownfish. No, it's not. I know it's not. I'm I'm so sorry. See, I, I suffer from short-term memory loss. Short-term memory loss. I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. Um, hmm. Where are they? Can I help you? Something's wrong with you. Really. You're wasting my time. I have to find my son. <laughs> so, I love that movie. Like, uh, I am a huge Pixar movie fan. Like, they are just the most creative people on the planet, I think. And when a new Pixar movie comes out, like, I think I'm actually more excited than my boys are because I just love their movies so much. But, um, but... Uh, so, so you have Dory, you know, the blue tang fish, and, and she's so excited all the time, right? She's so excited, and she wants to help everyone out, but every time she turns around, she loses her memories, and she forgets what she was doing, she forgets why she was doing it, and most of all, she forgets what has been done for her, and I don't know about you sometimes, but I kind of can relate to Dory. I kind of feel like Dory sometimes. And not just because my wife will ask me to do something and five seconds later I have no recollection of our conversation. <laughs> but, but as time marches on, you know, memories begin to fade. And, and the things that feel so urgent in the moment, whether it's a health concern or a financial crisis... After it's over, we kind of lose that urgency a little bit. And, and the memory of that urgency fades. And I think this even applies to our relationship with God. If you are a Christian, when you first were saved from the person you were before Jesus entered your life, you were probably overflowing with thankfulness, right? Uh, so thankful the, for the transformation that had just occurred in your life. So excited to, and ready to dive deep into this newly discovered love that God has for you. And, but as time marches on, the feelings of that urgency you know, and thankfulness of the transformation begin to fade a little. And we find a routine in our relationship with Jesus and and dare I say it that maybe just maybe we begin to box him in a little bit and we're still thankful it's not like we're not thankful but we're just thankful in a more conservative reserved way you know and and this word thankfulness is at the center of what our scripture is about today so if you would please turn with me to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 11 through 19. So that's Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And while you're turning there, 
I'm going to give you a minute to turn there. And as you do, let me give you a little glimpse into what's going on where we pick up our story today. And, And Jesus and his disciples are making their way to Jerusalem which ultimately would end in Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, They've made several stops along the way, and two major themes begin to make themselves known through this journey. Theme one is that there's a growing tension between um, Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders. And on several occasions, those two butt heads on the journey. And, And theme two is that Jesus has begun to prepare his disciples for his departure. The journey to Jerusalem is Jesus' road to the cross. And Jesus, like any good teacher, is trying to prepare his students for the road that lies ahead. In our scripture today, Jesus and the disciples are crossing through the border of Samaria and Galilee. And that's where we begin our scripture today. So let's go ahead and read uh, Luke chapter 17. We're going to read verses 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was going into a village. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, Have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, "Were, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So, okay. So let's set the scene here. You you have Jesus and his disciples on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, they're actually traveling between the borderland of Samaria and Galilee, as I already said, and they're traveling through this borderland. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place that would be considered a borderland, but borderlands are kind of strange places. Like, they're, they're, there are these types of places that have tend to have a large mix of cultures. Um, you have people who are just travelers, and you have people that have made their home in the borderland, you know, and and you most likely have people of influence and power, but you probably have some people who would be considered the lowest of the low as well. And and, and like I said, borderlands are just strange places and in many ways I kind of think feel like Redlands is kind of a borderland, you know, it's like tucked neatly in between San Bernardino and Moreno Valley. Redlands also has this huge melting pot of people of different cultures. Uh, we have people in Redlands who are very rich and have a ton of influence. But what, something you might not know is that homeless people flock to Redlands as well because they feel safe here. Um, and the common denominator between all these different people, besides the fact that they live in the same city, is that they all need Jesus. And in the borderland, we're reading about today, Jesus and his disciples come into contact with some people who in Jesus' day would have been considered the lowest of the low. 
it was a group of ten lepers, and not leopards, lepers, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, we read in verse 12 and 13, As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So you may be wondering why the men didn't just like rush right up to Jesus, but instead kept their distance. Well, these men, like we said, had leprosy. And and you may have heard of leprosy before, uh, but not totally know what it is. So let me explain it a little bit. Leprosy, or Hansen's disease as it's actually called now, is a chronic infection that basically consumes your whole body. And it affects your nerves your respiratory tract, your skin, your eyes. And so when I began to research leprosy, um, I came across some pretty graphic pictures of it. And, and so like, I, there were pictures that I didn't feel comfortable really showing on a Sunday morning, but I did find one that was so old that it didn't seem totally as graphic. So, um, so go ahead and put that picture up here. So... So that's a guy with leprosy from Norway in 1886. And the stunning thing to me, the thing that's just shocking about this picture, is that this man from Norway that lived in 1886 is only 24 years old. I mean, that's crazy, right? (laughs) Um, So leprosy in those days... uh, of Jesus was was highly contagious, and and people in Jesus's day who had the disease had to live on the outskirts of town, away from everyone else, and and so that's why in the scripture the group of lepers were all together, away from everyone else. It, it's because they weren't allowed to be around anybody else, and 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 that's also why they didn't approach Jesus because in that culture, if you had leprosy, you were an outcast, the lowest of the low. And you stayed away from from everyone. And so I think so many times when I'm just like walking around Redlands and someone comes up to me asking asking for money or or something, you know, my tendency and I and, and I'm not proud of this, I'm gonna say that right up front, is that is just to clam up, kinda put a wall up and you know pretend like they don't exist or just say something quick and keep walking or, you know, like that, that's my tendency. And really, you know, I'm not proud of that. Uh, And the Lord has begun to really work on me on that because here they are asking me for mercy, you know, it's just a little bit of help. And, and what do I do? I just put up a wall and keep on walking. And, and uh, God has really begun to work on me in that way. Um, but what does how how does Jesus engage these men? You know, it would have been so easy for him to just put up a wall and keep walking, you know, and and ignore these men with leprosy. I guarantee, well, I, I guarantee that that's probably what the disciples would have done. <laughs> but but Jesus didn't ignore the, these men. He he engaged them, right? He engaged them, and and because. It, it doesn't matter to Jesus who you are, whether you're a lawmaker or a man with leprosy. He loves everyone the same, and we're all on a level playing field in Jesus' eyes. And so, how does he engage these men with this horrible disease? Well, in verse 14, 
we read that when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. See, in that time, there had been cases of people's leprosy that had gone into remission. And the only way that they could be deemed clean again was to be inspected by a priest. And then they could, that priest could announce, hey, this, this guy's clean and he's now allowed to rejoin society. And But there's just something about the way, it always sticks out to me, there's something about the way Jesus responds to these men. Jesus could have healed them right there on the spot, you know, like instantly. No question about it, like he, he's Jesus, right? And, but instead he says, go. He says, go show yourself to the priest. And in the later half of verse 14, it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Now don't miss that right there. Don't miss that little chunk of scripture. As they went, they were healed. Jesus could have healed them right then and there, but many times he asks us for an act of faith. See, there's a lot of things that Jesus is good at, right? But doing things the way we would like them uh, done in the time that we would like them done is not really one of them. And I'm sure these men with leprosy were thinking Jesus would heal them right then and there. But instead, Jesus said, go. And at Jesus' word, the diseased men... I mean, they didn't just stand around, right? They, they went on their way because they all believed that Jesus had the power to heal and make them clean again. So in faith, all ten men went. And along their journey, they were healed. But that's not the end of the story, right? That's not the end of the story, oh no. So, see, along the way, the Bible tells us that the men were healed of their disease. And in verse 15 and 16, we read, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked Him. And he was a Samaritan. So you have all ten guys leave Jesus to show themselves to the priest. And somewhere along the way, healing takes place. And at this point, the group of ten men split. One man, upon noticing the cleansing of his body, turns around, goes back, and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. The other nine were so concerned with the fact that they could rejoin society that they forgot to give thanks to the one who made it possible. And at the end of verse 16, it says, and he was a Samaritan. And the reason the Bible notes that is because Samaritans were people of a radically different culture than, the, than people who were Jewish. And uh, there was a deep hatred between the two cultures dating back to the book of Genesis. So if Jewish men with leprosy were the lowest of the low, then a Samaritan man with leprosy to a Jewish man would be the absolute bottom of the barrel. So this Samaritan man is weeping and giving thanks at Jesus' feet. And Jesus does this really subtle but super cool thing. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Has no one returned to give 
praise to God except this foreigner? See, Jesus is being cheeky right there. And uh, then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. This is again illustrating that no matter who you are, what culture you are from, no matter what you have done in your past, it does not disqualify you from God's grace. And in the end of the scripture, we find out that this one man received so much more than the other nine. The other men with leprosy received physical healing. But the one who came back and gave thanks to God for what he had done received an internal healing of a whole other kind. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And when Jesus says well, he's talking about something so much more than physical healing. He's talking about the salvation of the body, mind, and soul. Faith in and thanks to God is what saved this man and made him well. But I want to jump back I want to jump backwards into the story for a minute to where the one man splits off from the other nine because I really feel like this is for our church right now. As I've grown older and I've heard this scripture over the years, I think the question that comes to mind is can you receive the blessings of God with an ungrateful heart? Can you receive the blessings of God with an ungrateful heart? I think the story in Scripture makes it pretty clear that you can. Only one out of the ten gave thanks to God for what He had done. So another question that comes to mind is, why are we desiring healing? Are we desiring healing so that things can go back to normal? Or are we desiring healing so that we may spend the rest of our days thanking and giving glory to God and pointing people to the Savior? Because there's a difference in that. And when this question arises, I can't help but think of our church right now. Our church is going through a painful transition period right now and I don't want to dwell on it too long, but... I just can't help but wonder, once healing takes place, what kind of church are we going to be? Once God has brought us through the healing process, are we going to forget? Like Dory? Are we going to let the memories fade? Are we just going to let things go back to normal and rejoin society like the other nine? Or are we going to let this healing penetrate our entire being and never stop giving thanks? I would hope that once healing has occurred in our church, and guys, I'm here to tell you it's happening. It is happening. I see it happening. I see the Lord moving all over the place in our pain, and in our struggle, and in our process of moving forward, the Lord hasn't stopped moving. I would hope that once healing occurred, that we would be a church of the one. 
A church of the one, not the nine. A church of the one. A church of the one is a church that never forgets or lets the memory fade that they were once the lowest of the low and at the bottom of the barrel in a borderland. A church of the one never forgets or lets the memory fade of their source of healing, salvation, and blessing. A church of the one realizes that it is not our cleanliness that allows us to be worthy to stand before God, but it is our faithfulness. A church of the one lets the healing that God has so graciously given us penetrate our entire being. And they never, ever stop giving thanks and pointing people to the Savior. As the worship team comes, I just want to ask you, can we be a church of the one? Because... I really firmly believe that we can. I believe we can be a church that lets this healing process change us forever. So this week, I actually, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. And this is your homework for this week. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be grading it next Sunday. Just kidding. Um, I want you to... Ask yourself a couple of questions this week. Maybe ask yourself a couple of times throughout the week. Ask God to search your heart. Self-evaluate. The first question I want you to ask is, am I receiving God's blessing with an ungrateful heart? Am I receiving God's blessing with an ungrateful heart? Or am I heaping my praises upon Him constantly? Question two, do I desire healing for our church because I want things to go back to normal? Or do I desire healing of our church because I want God to change us forever? I'm going to spend some time pondering those questions myself this week. So, guys, I really just feel like the Lord is calling us to be a church of the one moving forward, not a church of the nine. A church that is grateful for every blessing, every transformation, and constantly pointing people to the Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, we love You. We just say that up front, Lord. You are the healer. You have our church in the palm of Your hand, Lord. You can begin to give us a clean slate anytime You want, God. And we promise, Lord, But we are not going to take for granted any of your blessings, Lord. Lord, that we are going to hold your miracles dear to our heart, Father. 
Lord, that we are never, ever going to stop heaping praises upon You. Ever. Lord, in that we will point people to the saving power of Jesus.